several weeks ago, I had a, um, I had a moment where I, I had some insight on how the, the Christmas season kind of affects me and how it affects my heart. A little, little backdrop for you to understand why this is so. You know, I, I like to think of myself as a frugal person. You know, when I was younger in college, my friends, they all preferred the word cheapskate, but I think frugal is a better descriptor of how I am. I know how to make a dollar stretch. You know, I know how to get the most out of a buck and how to be disciplined with my money, to make it last for a long time. If that makes me cheap, so be it. But I think I'm frugal. You know, I don't love to buy things if I don't need them or spend money I don't need to spend. And yet I noticed this thing several weeks ago, you know, we're into January, and I just found myself every time any kind of need or simple want would arise, I just, I was on Amazon. I'm like, all right, let's get it. You know, let's order it. You know, like, oh, Amy, your, your neck's hurting? Let's order a new pillow. Get a new pillow. Boom. Somebody recommended a book. Let's get on Amazon. Let's buy it right now. You know, we need a new uh, shop light for our garage. Let's get two shop lights. I'm going to order both of them on Amazon. All these are true things. I just like hop on there and order it. And I start noticing that there's like this impulse in my heart following the Christmas season where if there's any kind of need or want, I'm just ready to buy it. Like there's, I'm just ready to hit the, hit the pay now, buy now button and have it sent to my house. What I began to realize is like, man, my, my discipline over the Christmas season, I'm in this mode of buying, right? I'm buying presents for my kids. I'm buying, buying presents for my family. I'm getting presents for myself. And there's just this like awakened material desire that I'm just ready to satisfy. And I come out of Christmas and that is just it's ever present with me. And what I realized several weeks ago is that the, the American Christmas spirit has this way of awakening material desire in my, health, my heart. And I find myself just wanting more. You know, coming out of Christmas each year is this moment where I think what I'm realizing is that my desires are out of order. My desires get misordered or misplaced over the Christmas season. And none of these things that I'm desiring are bad, but suddenly they, they trump everything else. And it's a moment where I realize, oh, some of the desires of my mind, my heart, my flesh are a little bit out of order right now. And I think all of us, have these moments where we realized that our desires are a little bit misplaced. Our desires are out of order. They're disordered. They're not where they're meant to be. You know, for some of you, it is, it's that moment that you, you, you make that purchase, and then the moment you get it home, you're like, why in the world did I buy this? It looks so good on me in the store, and it doesn't look good on me at home anymore. Or, why did I purchase this thing? I really thought that when I ordered it at 11.30 at night on Amazon, that when it came, it would make my life happier, and I'm not happier. Like, it didn't do that. It didn't satisfy me. Like, anytime you have that buyer's remorse, you're starting to realize, oh, my desires are misordered or misplaced. For some of us, it is chasing the career. Like, you're chasing down that dream job, and then you land the dream job, and it doesn't fulfill you the way that you thought it would. That's a moment where you're having an insight that maybe your desires are disordered or out of place or misordered. You know, I, th I think sometimes because this is our experience with desire, where we desire something, we get it, and it doesn't quite do for us what we want it to do, I think sometimes we have a tendency to place desires in kind of the, the bad category. The desires are just bad. We shouldn't, you know, if we could just get our desires under control. The desires are negative, you know, as followers of Jesus, I think this is especially true sometimes. I think we look at our desires as though they are this negative thing that need to be tamed and completely done away with. You know, our culture doesn't necessarily help with that. I think a lot of times our culture, the word desire gets associated with some sort of secret, selfish pleasure. A lot of times it's connected to sexually provocative materials and desire is like this secretive thing that you should try to do away with or keep it hidden if you have it. But it's not just followers of Jesus or our culture. You know, there's an entire world religion 
that has been built on the idea of getting rid of desires. Did you know that Buddhism, this is the aim of Buddhism. I hear a lot of people talk about, yeah, I like some of the things about Buddhism, or I'm dabbling in meditation with Buddhism. Did you know that the goal of Buddhism, what it aims at, is that the Buddha realized that, man, if you can just rid yourself of all desire, every single desire, then you could finally free yourself from this endless circle of meaningless life, and you can reach nirvana and enlightenment and all this kind of stuff. And, and for the Buddha, this meant all desires were bad. They all had to be undone and done away with. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we fall into that same trap of thinking that we are to just get rid of our desires. But did you know that desire, human desire, it's actually from the Lord. Like, it is from God. God made you with the ability to desire, with a need to desire, and it's actually a good thing that part of being a human being, part of being alive as a human is that you have desires in your heart. And this is a good and beautiful thing. You know, we're about to enter into a season of fasting. We do this every year. If you are new to Ethos, the beginning of the year, we just spend around 30 days of just giving ourselves to prayer and fasting. As we prepare to enter into a season of fasting, I think sometimes we think of fasting as this moment to rid ourselves of desire. That fasting is this place that's just deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself, get rid of all desires. And we think that fasting is about ridding ourselves of desire. But I think what we're going to see this morning is fasting, it is related to desire. But what I hope we'll see is that fasting is not meant to rid you of desire, but instead to stir your heart for stronger desire. Fasting is not to rid you of desire. It is to stir your heart for stronger desire. Now, Jesus talked about fasting quite a bit. Uh, it was pretty obvious if you read Jesus' life that he valued fasting. He thought fasting was important. I mean, in Matthew chapter 4, we see him beginning his ministry with 40 days of fasting. He's in the wilderness by himself, eating nothing for 40 straight days. And then you go two chapters ahead in Matthew, you get to Matthew chapter six, and Jesus starts teaching on fasting. It's really interesting when you read what Jesus is teaching on fasting in Matthew six, he looks at his followers, he says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. In other words, there's kind of this assumption in Jesus' mind that if, if you are pursuing God and wanting a life that is rich with God, that fasting is part of the equation for you. He says, when you fast, and he gives some instructions there. But this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 9, where Jesus gets questioned about fasting. And it's an interesting story because Jesus gets asked a question, and as is not too unusual for Jesus, because he's always like doing judo tricks with our brains, he answers the question in a, in a way that's unexpected. He answers it in a way that might feel weird at first. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Just at two verses, verses 14 and verse 15. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. It says, Then John's disciples came and asked him. Now, John here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet who was, he was a contemporary of Jesus, and his whole purpose was to prepare the Jewish people for the arrival of their Messiah, their Christ, Jesus. And so John the Baptist has been preparing people for Jesus, and he had disciples as well who were keeping their eyes out for the Messiah, and they see Jesus, so they're coming to ask him some questions. And so they came and they asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast." It's the word of the Lord out of Matthew 9. And so here's this weird moment. Jesus has John the Baptist's disciples come to him and ask him about fasting. 
And he, and he answers with this question about a bridegroom and mourning, and it's like, wait, what? Like, Jesus, they asked you about fasting, and now you're talking about a wedding. Like, how are those two things connected? Well, Jesus was using language that would not have been too unfamiliar to the Jewish ear. So Jesus begins to answer them, and it doesn't feel related to fasting at first, but the way he answers them, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn? Let's deal with this word bridegroom first. Some of you may remember back in the fall, we walked through Exodus 34. We were in Exodus 34 for a long time, and we were in this study of understanding who God is and what he's like. And as we looked at this moment in Exodus 34, we talked about what happened at Mount Sinai. And some of you may remember, we said what happened at Mount Sinai was often framed as a wedding ceremony between God and his people. That God was covenanting with his people and asking his people to covenant with him. And the imagery that he uses is that of a wedding where God is the bridegroom or the groom. And God's people are the bride. And what he's saying is, this is the kind of steadfast, never-ending love that I have for you. It's like the love of a husband for his wife that is never-ending. It is a covenant. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it would not be uncommon for God to be described as the husband and Israel described as the bride. For God to be the bridegroom and for Israel to be the bride. And so for Jesus, here he is standing before these disciples of John the Baptist who were awaiting the anointed one, the Messiah of God, and he says, how can my disciples, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn what he's saying is, I am the bridegroom God that you've been waiting for. I am the groom, I am Yahweh, just like he says in John 8, says, I am God in the flesh, the bridegroom right here with you. And he says, how in the world could the disciples, the followers, the friends of the bridegroom how could they mourn when the thing that they long for, the thing they desire most is right here with them, God in the flesh? So they ask about fasting, and Jesus says, how could they mourn? Now, what's happening here, he identifies himself as the bridegroom God, but then he connects mourning with fasting. He says there's this connection between mourning and fasting. Did you notice that? He says, how can they mourn while I'm with them, yet a time is coming, I'll be taken away, then they will fast. How can they mourn while I'm here? When I'm gone, they will fast. Fasting and mourning are connected. You know, mourning, this makes sense. Mourning, mourning is just an ache-filled longing. Mourning is an ache-filled longing for someone or something that is missing in your life. An ache-filled longing, it's a desire. Jesus is connecting fasting with an ache-filled longing or fasting with a desire. He's saying, listen, when I'm, when I'm not with them anymore, he's referring to his death. He's saying, hey, there's a time coming, I'm gonna die, and then they will fast. He says, I'll be taken away from them. It's in his absence that the friends of Jesus begin to fast because they are filled with an ache-filled longing for the presence of Jesus in their life. You see, for the disciples, fasting... The disciples of Jesus, fasting was an expression of their desire for Jesus, their desire for the presence of Jesus in his life, in their lives. What Jesus is saying here about fasting, he's saying this, he's going, listen, fasting is an ache-filled longing for more of my presence in your life. Fasting is not devoid of desire, but rather fasting is filled with desire for the person of Jesus. Fasting is filled with desire for more of the work of God in my life, for more of the direction of Jesus, for more of the will of Jesus in my life. It is the very opposite of being devoid of desire. 
It is filled with directed and focused desire on the person of Jesus being present in my life. You see, fasting for us as followers of Jesus, it's not getting rid of desire. No, it is a recalibration of our desires. It is a reordering of our desires because we all have moments in our lives where our desires get misordered or misplaced or out of alignment. And this is why we do this every year. Every year we say, okay, it's time for recalibration. It's time for us to realign the desires of our hearts. You know, the Bible is filled with sometimes mixed messaging about desires. And so it makes sense that sometimes we as followers of Jesus get a little confused on, on whether desires are good or bad. I mean, the, the Bible is full of some messages about desires that are kind of cautionary, like going, hey, be careful. And then there's these other places in the Bibles where desire is actually encouraged and celebrated. Now, I'll, I'll look at a couple of these with you, you know, cautionary. One of these that we see is, is in the story, the very beginning of the Bible of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter three, you have this moment where Adam and Eve, they have, at this point, they've got perfect relationship with God. The thing they were made to desire is closeness with God. They walk with him in the garden, and yet they become, you know, the serpent comes in and tempts Eve. And I want you to listen to the, some of the language here in Genesis three, Genesis three, verse six. It says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and listen to this, also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And there's this moment where there's this tree in the middle of the garden and Eve sees that it's good and it was good, but something happens where she sees that it's desirable for gaining something she thinks she does not have. You know, I'm really convinced that James, the brother of Jesus, had this story in his mind when he wrote a portion of his letter in the New Testament. You know, James chapter one, James starts talking about where sin comes from. He says it this way. He says, hey, in James one, he says, when you are tempted, when someone is tempted, they should not say, they should not assume that God is being tempted because God cannot be tempted by evil. He says, instead, each one is tempted, each person, when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And he says, desire, after it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I can just imagine James penning these words and he's thinking about Eve sitting there being lured away, enticed by her desire. And that desire giving birth to sin and ultimately giving birth to death. It's these cautionary words about desire. But I think what James is speaking of there, it's not just desire in and of itself, He's actually talking about something a little more. The word that he used there is epithumia. Epithumia is a Greek word, and what it really means is like the ultimate desire. Think about the word epicenter. Epicenter just means the ultimate center, right? So epithumia, it's epi-desire. It is the ultimate desire. Some would describe it as an over-desire. And what James is describing it, there are these cravings, these lusts that we have of our flesh that are over-desires, misplaced desires that trip us up. Oftentimes, they are desires for good things, normal things, natural things, but there's this overemphasis on them. They become the ultimate desire. And James says that is what eventually leads us into sin. It's what gives birth to death. The apostle Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. He says, as friends, as, as, as foreigners and exiles, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires. He uses that same word there which wage war against your soul. 
In other words, what he's saying is there are these desires in our life when they get misplaced, when they get out of order. It's not just that we develop bad habits. It's not just that we become undisciplined. Did you know that your misplaced desires, your disordered desires, actually wage war on your soul? They actually come against you spiritually. That when I misplace my desires and the wrong thing becomes the ultimate thing, it's waging war against me spiritually and who I am and who I was meant to be. So we see all these cautionary words about desire in the Bible, but we also see these really beautiful places where desire is actually highlighted as a good thing. One of the ones that stands out to me the most is in Philippians chapter one. Here we find the apostle Paul and he's, he's wrestling He's wrestling with his experience. He's later in his life. He's been in jail for a long time. He knows that the day of his death is probably approaching, and he's wrestling with what he desires more. And listen to what he says, starting starting in verse uh, 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I go on living, it means I get to keep laboring for Jesus here in this life, in this age. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire, same word, epithumia. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. What a, what a, a radical statement by the Apostle Paul. He says, my desire, my, my ultimate desire, the thing I, I want most, the thing that's at the top of the list is to be with Jesus. This is why he says, for me to die is gain, but to live is Christ. See, he didn't have misordered desires. They're in the right order. He had the ultimate desire of being with Jesus, the presence of Jesus in his life. So you see, desire is not a bad thing. It's actually celebrated here in the Apostle Paul. The psalmists often will come back and talk about desires, not desires are good. You guys remember back in the fall when we started that series in Exodus, we started in Psalm 27 where the psalmist says, man, there's just one thing I seek, one thing I ask for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may seek him in the temple and gaze upon his beauty. The psalmist David, he is, he's expressing just the strong, the strongest desire of his heart. One thing that he wants is to be in the presence of God, to fix his eyes upon him. And we talked about how, man, I wish that was the the thing that was true about me the most, is that that was my my strongest desire. There's a psalm that I'm actually working on memorizing a portion of it for our fast this year, Psalm 73. In verse 25, the psalmist says this, is whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say, I've got rid of all my desires. No, it goes, no, earth has nothing I desire except for God. Like, life with Jesus. You see, desire is celebrated when, it's, when our desires are focused in the right direction. I'll give you one more, Psalm 37, verse four. This one's really good. It says, it says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I've heard this verse taught or shared in lots of different ways, and sometimes I'll hear it shared in a way that makes it sound like, like, hey, you just love God, pray, and he'll give you what you want. <laughs> just love God a little more and pray a little more, and he'll just give you what you want. And, and beloved, this is, not, this is not really what this passage is saying. This, passage, this is a passage about recalibrating the desires of our heart. The passage is saying, hey, if we will delight ourselves in him, if we will realign 
our hearts with what we were meant for. We were meant to long for more of God in our lives. If we will delight in him, if we will reorder our desires, then you will get the desired heart. You will get him. That's his promise to us that when we align our desires for him and, 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 and focus on him, we will get him. This is why Jesus will say things like, hey, ask and you'll receive. He's not just going around handing out Ferraris. He's not like, hey, ask and it's yours. Here's the keys. No, he's saying, ask, seek and you'll find. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first affection and intimacy with Jesus. Seek first knowing God, desiring God. He will give you the desire of your heart. If we align our hearts around the thing we were meant for, you see, fasting recalibrates our hearts. It puts the ultimate desire back where it belongs. In a lot of ways, you know, this fasting season is so perfectly aligned with the Advent season that we end the year with. You guys remember during Advent, we kept saying that Advent is where we both remember the first coming of Jesus, but we anticipate and long for the return of Jesus. You see, fasting is this place where we go, okay, I know right now as a follower of Jesus, I have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in my heart. But the Apostle Paul would say that the deposit of the Holy Spirit, it's a deposit guaranteeing what you are yet to receive, that there is more. And fasting is this place where I go, okay, I know in this age, while we are waiting, while we're anticipating, there are all these other desires that wage war against my soul that compete to be the ultimate thing. And fasting is where I go, no, 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 one desire, one thing that I wanna seek after, one thing that I wanna fix my heart on, and that is the presence of Jesus in my life and a stirring of my heart to long for the day when I see him face to face and not live in fear of the end, but long for and hope for the return of Jesus. This is what fasting is meant to do is to stir our hearts in affection for Jesus, the only one who is truly worthy of being the ultimate desire in our lives. And so this is what we get ready to enter into. You know, I think we have to ask some questions before we jump into fasting, and I'll give you some details on the fast here in a minute, but I think we've got to ask some questions before we enter into fasting. I think, one, we've got to ask, how do we know when we have misplaced desires? How do you know? If in your life you have misplaced desires, well, I think the first thing you have to ask is what are your desires? What is it that you desire? And if you don't know how to answer that question, here's some simple kind of cues to help you think through it a little bit. You know, what, what are the things that you will sacrifice for uh, in order to take hold of it? <laughs> Like, what are the things that you would sacrifice for in order to take hold of? What are the things that you would cut corners for to make sure that thing stays in your life? The thing you don't really want to let go of. Or maybe what are the things that you do out of impulse that you wish you didn't do? Like some of the, answering some of these questions help us realize what the desires are. I, I'll give you a, a silly example. It's just a silly example. But, you know, you can, you can recognize the desire of people's heart every time a new Chick-fil-A opens. What happens every time a new Chick-fil-A opens? You know, people camp out, right? They'll, they'll go and sleep like in a tent outside of a Chick-fil-A waiting for the moment when the doors open. Why? because they want a year's supply of free Christian chicken. You know, like they're like, I will give, I will lay it all down. I'll lay it all down in order to get that thing. I'm willing to sacrifice a night of rest in my bed in order to get that year's supply of Chick-fil-A chicken. You see, what we will sacrifice for is the thing that we're desiring. Now, I know that's a silly example, but we gotta be real. There are some other things that are very present in our everyday life that we will sacrifice for or cut corners for or impulsively do because it's become too high of a desire in our heart. 
So the first question becomes, what do you desire? The second question becomes this, when do, when do your lesser desires derail your stated desires? When do your lesser desires derail your stated desires? I'll give you an example of how this works in my life. One of my stated desires is that on my days off, on my weekends, I want to be fully present with my family. I say that I say my stated desire is, man, Friday, Saturday, those are my two days off each week. Like that, that my stated desire is when I'm off, I want to be present with my wife and with my kids. And yet I'll tell you what happens is there's this lesser desire, this desire of always being in the know and being aware of what's unfolding in the world around me. I want to know what's happening in the news. You know, and I'm not, I'm that kind of guy, like, I want to know before you tell me so that when you tell me, I can say, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> Am I the only one? Like, is anybody else there? Like, I will, I will devour the headlines. And what happens on my weekends is I'll be sitting in a living room and my little girl is asking me to read her a book and I've got this dumb thing in front of my face because I'm reading what the latest headline is telling me about what's unfolding in the world. I'm caring more about whether or not Vladimir Putin is gonna invade Ukraine than being right here present with my little girl because I've got a misplaced desire to be the one that knows, to be in the know. And I'm sacrificing time with my family to take hold of this lesser desire. So the question we have to ask is, when do lesser desires derail your stated desires? I think there's a host of these that we could all name, each one of us, right? A desire, to, to, a stated desire of getting up in the morning to spend and start my day with time with God, and yet the alarm goes off, and man, that desire to keep my head on that comfy pillow, <laughs> it derails. It, that lesser desire derails the stated desire. A desire to be disciplined in my evenings, to end my day well, planning out my next day, or to be present with those that I'm with, it gets derailed by this lesser desire to check out to Netflix or to check out to Hulu or whatever it is that we stream in the evening, and it totally derails our attempt to be disciplined and start our day by ending our day well. There's all these like lesser desires that come in and, and derail our stated desires, and I've named just some, some everyday normal ones. Sometimes the stakes are higher. I have watched people shipwreck their marriages because of misplaced sexual desires or financial desires. And they let a, a lesser desire totally derail their stated desire. I've watched college students lose their college career because of partying and just crazy living because of a lesser desire of pleasure or popularity has derailed their stated desire of success and education. You guys see how this works in our lives. Or if we're not careful, lesser desires, they get misplaced, they get disordered, and they derail the things we really want. And so this is why every year we set a 30-day period at the beginning of the year for fasting. It is recalibrating the over-desires, the misplaced desires, to refocus on the thing, the one thing we were truly meant to desire. So I want to tell you a few things about our fast this year as we enter into it. You know, our season of prayer and fasting, we call it Awaken. If you're new to Ethos, it's every year we start with something called Awaken. And it will begin this year on Monday, Monday, January 31st, and it will go through Sunday, February 27th. So next Sunday, we'll be kind of launching and heading into it. This Sunday, we want to give you some details why we're doing it and what you can expect and so the, the dates will be January 31st to February 27th. And throughout this, this four-week period, we are going to provide you with some scripture to read through, some questions to wrestle with every day. We're going to provide both some communal prayer times in the, in the form of Zoom calls in the morning at 6.30, in the evenings at 9 p.m. We did this last year. It was really amazing. 
We're gonna provide some prayer opportunities to be together as a church family. We're gonna do a 24-hour prayer vigil. We've got all these different things that we're gonna be doing. And in your seat, you will have seen a card that looks something like this. It has all the dates in it. It has all the information about what our fasting is gonna look like. And what we wanna ask you this morning is we wanna encourage you know, each adult, take one of these. Kids will be getting something separate next week, so don't feel like you need one for your kids. But every adult can take one of these. If there wasn't one on your seat, we'll have some on the bar. You can grab one of those on your way out. But here's what, here's what we want you to do this week. We want you to just read over this resource. Just look through it. Get familiar with what it is that we're gonna be doing together as a church family. Spend some time this week. Spend some time really praying and planning Plan how you can carve out some space in the month of February to engage both personally and communally in prayer. Here's what I mean by this. We've got some dates in here, and you can look at them now, but if you're anything like me, if they don't make their way onto your calendar, the chances of you engaging are pretty slim. So this week, look over this thing. Figure out what are the dates that you can really engage with and mark them on your calendar. Maybe you can only do a prayer call a couple times a week. Mark which days of the week you're gonna do and make the decision to engage, like prioritize it on your calendar first. So look it over, get familiar with what's coming and figure out where you're going to engage. Second thing we'd ask you to do is start praying and asking God what fasting should look like for you. What should fasting look like for you this year? Now we're doing something a little different as a church family this year. We are going to begin our fast the first three days and end the fast the last three days together inviting everybody to do the same fast. And so the first three days, January 31st, February 1st, and February 2nd, we're inviting everybody to participate in a sunup to sundown food fast. What this means is you don't eat from the time the sun rises until after the sun sets. We're gonna do that together as a church family Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Now again, there's no, like fasting is always voluntary always. So don't hear us like being like, hey, you're going to do this and you're going to like it. Like, no, we're just, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to engage in this. We're going to start our fast that way the first three days and we're going to end the fast the last three days, February 25th, 26th, and 27th. We'll do the same thing. A sun up to sundown fast all together collectively as a church family. In between those two bookends of three days, it's kind of a choose your own adventure fast. (laughs) And so you can figure out, hey, what is the Lord inviting you into? What is a way of fasting that you can engage? And I'll say this, you know, if this is a place where you can begin to ask, like, hey, where are my misordered desires? Where are the things that I need to start, like, reordering in my life? And how can I do that? How can I let this season be a recalibrating? I'll tell you, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm shutting down the browser feature on my phone. Like, it's going bye-bye for the month of February. I'm putting it aside. Because I I want to be really present and be able to focus on the things that matter. What will it look like for you to do a food fast in between those? And I'll say this, you know, if you have medical issues or if you have a history of eating disorders, I really encourage you, like, talk talk to your uh, doctor or your therapist. Like, figure out if it's a good idea for you to do this. Not everybody should. But if you can, I invite you, like, ask the Lord, what would it look like for you to do a food fast this year, maybe in a way that you've never done it before. And there's all kinds of resources for this available on our website, ethoschurch.org awaken. Another thing that we've done this year that's a little bit new, so, so look at your calendar, look at the dates, pray about the type of fast you're gonna engage in. Another thing is this year we have, we've created a couple podcasts 
And we hope to do at least maybe one more, but two of them have been released already. And we want to encourage you this week to listen to those. The, the first one is just, it's called Prayer and Fasting. It's Dave Clayton just talking some about fasting and what it is. And then we have another one that's called Before You Fast. That means this week would be a great time to listen to that because it's before you fast. And this one really just talks through some of the practicals of how do you prepare physically? What are the things you need to be aware of in your physical body before you enter into a time of fasting? So we're, we're just trying to resource you so that we can all be in this together. You know, the, the last thing I'll say about this before we kind of move into to landing and talking about what we do with this this morning, as we head into fasting this year, I wanna encourage you, don't talk about what you're doing specifically with your fast with other people. We all know that we're in it together. There, there's a, a safe, shared assumption that as a church family, we're all fasting in some form or fashion. But something tends to happen when we start talking about it with other people, at least in my heart, maybe I'm just not spiritually mature enough, but in my heart, no matter who it is that I'm talking to, that spirit of comparison creeps in. And I'll hear how somebody else is fasting and one of two things happens, I go, man, I'm so much more mature than you. <laughs> I'm really getting after it this year. That's what goes through my head, you know? Or I hear what they're doing and it's more than me. I had a friend who did like a full 30-day fast but no solid food for 30 days and he told me that and I was like, oh man, I just haven't arrived yet. Like, when am I gonna get there, you know? The spirit of, it's like either I think I'm the best in the world or man, I am at the bottom of the ladder, you know? Like when I hear what other people are doing, I have this tendency to compare myself with them. And so if there's one or two people you wanna share with for accountability and prayer, that's great. But I would encourage you, don't just share widely what you're doing for your fast and don't necessarily ask other people. It's just inviting the spirit of competition into our church family and that's not why we do this together. Now, what do we do with this this morning? This morning, we wanna take some time over communion to ask the Lord to really begin to reveal our misplaced desires. See, communion is the perfect place to do this. You see, it's over communion that we come to the body and the blood of Jesus. And we remember this moment, oh my goodness, my like, beloved, fasting is not about performing for Jesus. Fasting is not about performing for God and trying to impress him. You see, what we realize over communion is that, that, that we don't try to love him more so that he'll love us. We understand, no, we love because he first loved us. It is a response to what he's done in our life as we come around the table of grace and we take the bread and we take the cup. What we're asking is like, Lord, make us aware of your grace for where we are while also inviting us to step into more. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you're going, man, I don't, I don't desire God the way that guy's talking about. And the Lord will look and he'll say, hey, I see you right where you are. I have grace for you right where you are. I died on a cross for you right where you are. I have grace for that. And I also have so much more. You know, some of you know Jesus is not the thing you desire most. And this week, I would encourage you a simple prayer that you can start praying before we head into this fast is, God, help me start desiring you more than fill in the blank. Lord, help me start desiring you more than my social media reputation. Lord, help me start desiring you more than the career, more than a spouse, more than the finances, just whatever it is, just start naming it. As we take communion this morning, we're gonna ask three simple questions. These will be up on the screen for you. And the questions are this. Number one, what are the misplaced desires in your life? Number two, how do you know? And then number three, just ask God to help us 
reorder our desires so that we will remember the one thing we were really made for, to desire him, to have closeness with him, to have his will and his understanding leading our lives as his people. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we've got communion on the bar. It's on the tables around the room. And after I pray, I just encourage you, go grab communion, bring it back to where you're sitting. You can, you can turn your chairs, have discussion with the people sitting around you. We'll leave these questions on the screen while you're communing. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there and lead into a time of worship. If you would like prayer this morning, we'll have some men and women at the Respond Banner over here. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you any way that we can. And you can, you can do that anytime during communion, during worship. We're just gonna finish our time encouraging one another, communing with Jesus and worshiping his name. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. <clears throat> I thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that you loved us first, Lord. Thank you that you invite us into deeper waters with you. Lord, this morning as we commune, as we take the bread and the cup, would you remind us, remind us, Lord, that you loved us first, that you laid down your life for us. And as we take your body, as we take the blood, would you just speak to us of your desire for us? You desire us. You love us. And would you begin to reshape, reorder, replace the desires of our heart in the right order so that we could be fully alive followers of Jesus with our hearts fixed on you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.